Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Yeah, I too want to wish you all a happy Father's Day. Of course, I forgot that it was Father's Day. Um, you know, because my kids forgot until... <laughs> I'm, I'm teasing. Um, it was great to see all the kids and hear about all the, the amount of kids that came to VBS. Um, I know Abby would come home every day telling stories about the kids and things that they did. It's an exciting part of the church. One of the other things that I'm excited about with our kids is the catechism challenge that we have going on. And um, as an intro to my sermon, we're going we're gonna to do some catechism questions. How's that sound? All right, so slide one, I think has the, what is the chief end of man? Okay, answer. Everyone together, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. All right, that sounds good. How do we do that? Well, there's another question, number two. What rule hath God given to direct us how, to, how we may glorify and enjoy him? Answer, the word of God, which is contained in the scriptures, the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. In other words, we're supposed to glorify and enjoy God, but if it was left up to our own devices, we would do all sorts of silly things. So, but God did not leave us without direction. He gave us the scriptures, Old and New Testament, to direct us how we might glorify and enjoy him. But this next question is really fun. Three, what do the scriptures principally teach? In other words, when you're opening up your Bible, what is the main thing that you're going to learn Right? There's lots of things in Scripture. There's history, there's different kinds of uh, literature in there, narratives and uh, parables and you, you name it. But what, if you t- dilute it, what are the, the most important things here? What is it that it's trying to teach? What should we be getting out of it? Here we go. The Scriptures principally teach what me, man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. Right? So when we read Scripture, the Scripture is going to teach us what we ought to believe about God, and then also God is teaching us what duties we owe him. That's a big question, isn't it? In fact, that's um, if we go to um, the slide four. Now, in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, we just read the first three questions, and then from question four to question 38. It's dealing primarily with what we should believe concerning God. And then we get to question 39, and it asks this, what is the duty which God requires of man? And here's the answer. The duty which God requires of man 
is obedience to his revealed will. Isn't that great? Very clear. And now it's going to go on and talk about what that duty is that he requires. What, what is his revealed will to us? Now, what if I were to ask some of the kids who were taking the catechism challenge, and I just, from there, just said, hey, okay, what's the most important thing we're supposed to do then? In terms of duty to God, what's the most important thing? Would that be an appropriate question to ask, say, like a five-year-old? Now, if I were to talk to someone on the street, you know, just any old person, and say, hey, What's the most important thing? What is the duty that we have to man? What's the most important part of that? I, I would imagine we'd have a variety of answers, right? I think some people might have an idea, some others, right? I, I would trust that members of Jacob's Well Church who have read the catechism, who've really studied scripture, would all know the answer already. You know who would be a really good person to ask? is Jesus, right? And, and that's what our scripture today is uh, about. So to put our scripture today into context, this is what's going on. In the beginning of Mark, we hear that the gospel, the beginning of the gospel is happening. In other words, a gospel's announcement of a king. Jesus is the promised Messiah, the promised king. And for the first half of the book, Jesus is doing things to show his authority that he really is the Messiah, but he's kind of keeping it hush-hush, right? He's not saying that out, outright, like, this is who I am. He's just doing the things of the Messiah, and then people are kind of figuring it out. Eventually, Jesus asks his disciple, who do people say that I am? They say, uh, well, some say you're this or that. And then, he, and then Peter says, then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, right? You are the king, you're the one promised of God. And from that moment on, Jesus' preaching changes, and he starts to teach about how he has to go to Jerusalem to die. And they're a little, you know, that's a little weird for them. Um, but the, the, the big point comes when he enters Jerusalem. And when he enters Jerusalem, he was on the donkey. Remember Palm Sunday? Dan preached about this idea that as he's going, it's not merely a fulfillment of prophecy, which it is, but Jesus set it up so that the whole world would see that he is claiming kingship, that he is the Messiah, and now you have to make it. You can't not make a choice. Up until that point, you kind of go, I don't know, he's some teacher out there, I don't know. But when he gets on that donkey and goes into Jerusalem and everyone's calling out, Hosanna, you know that what Jesus is saying publicly to everyone is, I'm the king and I'm coming. Now you've got to make a decision. He goes to the temple, remember, and then he judges the temple. He overturns the tables, he curses the fig tree, and, and you know, this is, the, the, the temple's not going to last. And uh, people from that point on, you have the chief priests, they want to kill him and they start trying to trap him. And they ask him questions to trap him, and Jesus answers marvelously. Uh, then you have, after that, you had the, the, um, the Pharisees and the Herodians, people who don't normally get along. They, they decide to plot together to test Jesus in a way to trap him 
so they'd have an excuse to get rid of him, right? So they ask him about the, the coin, right? And then Jesus answers, and they're just blown away by it. The Sadducees, another group, a sect of, of Jews come, and, they, and he, he answers marvelously. In the end, they're just like marveling at Jesus. But there's this one more question that comes, and it's coming from a scribe. A scribe is like a lawyer, right? In the, it, there's no easy comparison from, from today, but basically um, he is an, an expert at the, of the law, a highly valued member of their society since everything revolved around the, the law of God, and so he's this expert, and he comes. And so if you turn to Mark chapter 12, starting at verse 28, we'll read through 34. Page 8. 48 in the red book, hymnal, or red Bible. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them, that's Jesus, answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other beside him and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him, any more questions? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we have in front of us, and just read from your holy scripture, a question to your son, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. What is the most important? And it is with all our being to love you and to love our neighbor as ourself. And Father, we hear these words and we have a variety of things going through our heads and our hearts. One, that this seems so right and good. And yet we also know we fail at it. And God also, it requires maybe more understanding. So Father, I pray that you would open up our hearts, our minds to your word and that we might respond rightly to it and seek to love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today I just have three basic points with a few little side things here. Really is um, the reason the scribe asked the question, the answer to the question, and then understanding that answer. Sound, sounds good. So let's start off. Like, What is the reason for the question? Okay, the scribe being a lawyer... Being the expert at the law, I would, I would make him like, um, 
The, the scribe is kind of like a seminary professor in that they know the law well and they teach it to people. And they're also like a lawyer because they're the ones who kind of advise in terms of cases that come up. And they're responsible for recording outcomes of things. So um, this is, I don't want this to sound political, I'm just saying because it's in the news. We have a, a, an ex-president who's being charged with, a, with crimes and uh, they're using the Espionage Act, okay? So what's happening here is, is that this is, when you hear something's unprecedented, unprecedented, we understand that this is something that's never been done before, right? No one's ever charged an ex-president with espionage, um, dealing with records, right? So there's, there's going to be a debate, right? Some uh, legal minds think that this is, a, this is how it ought to go. Some legal minds go, no, he should be charged under the, uh, it should all be under the Presidential Records Act, right? It's all legal stuff. It's going to end up going through the courts, and someone's going, to, it's probably going to end up at the Supreme Court, I don't know. And what's going to happen is, is then there's going to be a ruling or a judgment that says, this is how we handle such cases, right? Right now, there's a lot of political hay being made on it, but ultimately what's going to happen is there's going to be a, a ruling and then that's going to go into kind of the annals of law. And so the next time something similar comes up, then the experts in the law kind of go, well, this is the precedent, right? That's what scribes did, right? So there's, here's the, the law that God's given, here's a case, and we make a judgment, and then they, they record these things. And so uh, someone might say, well, I want to do this. Is this lawful? And the scribe would say, well, this case went this way, and there's this case this way, and Rabbi so-and-so said this, and this rabbi, and they, would, and they would come from that and try to give advice. They were very important in that society. Now, why, then, is the scribe coming to talk to Jesus? All the others that have come to him in the last few weeks that we've been talking about have been there to question Jesus in order to trap Jesus, and here's one who seems to be more interested in truth and perhaps more interested if Jesus really is the Messiah. Because the, the, the idea is this. The promised king to come is going to restore Israel and he is going to bring about justice throughout the world. Well, where does justice come from? From God from following his law. And so this lawyer, this scribe, has an interest in what this person thinks. All right. So if you think about the history of Israel, you have the, 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 the leader who brought them out of Israel is Moses. He's the one that gave the law. Joshua, who shares the same name with Jesus, it's both Yeshua, Joshua and Jesus are the same name. Um, the, 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 what Moses tells Joshua is that you, the law needs to be you need to read it day and night. You need to meditate on it. Let it never depart from you. You know, if you're going to rule the people, you have to know the law. Then you have the history of the kings, and you, you see uh, kings abandoning the law. You see all sorts of things happen. Then you see reformers like Josiah. Remember, he fought, finds the law. It's been abandoned forever. He has it read. He's going, oh my goodness, we have to implement this. This is God's law. And what happens is that God's judgment is... is um, delayed. 
because of what Josiah did. So the expectation is if this guy's really king, he has to know the law and he has to be able to judge wisely about the law. So this is the question that the scribe is doing. If you're really the king, if you're really the Messiah, I want you to tell me, you carpenter from Nazareth, you uneducated guy who's been doing all these things, what is the most important command? And so Jesus answers him, this. And lo and behold, the scribe is shocked and says, you're right. You're right, that is. That is greater than all the... Because everyone's going to argue, all these different groups, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, the, everyone has an opinion about what, how things should be. But the lawyer, he's most interested in what does the law say? And when Jesus answered that, he was like, you're right. And Jesus responds back to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. It's excellent. All right? So if this is the answer, that we're to love God with our heart, with our um, soul, with our mind, with our strength, what does this mean? Okay? So I want to start with love. The, the, The New Testament is written in Greek. And the Greeks had four different words that we would translate love. Storge, phileo, or I'm sorry, eros, storge, uh, phileo, and agape. All right, I'm supposing you all write this down. Um, <laughs> storge simply means affection. It's like, um, so, you know, I work at a school and, you know, all the kindergartners come, they've never met any of them. And then just by hanging out day after day, all of a sudden they have an affection for one another. They have a love. They don't really know each other that well. They just kind of hang out. Right? It's kind of like our neighbors. You see your neighbor walking the dog. You say hi to him every once in a while. You had, don't know him for Adam, but after, after a few years of saying hi to him, all of a sudden you kind of have this affection for him. And when they're, they, you don't see him walking their dog, you go, I wonder what's going on. Right? That's storge. Right? It's a great, it's a basic thing. The next is uh, another one is eros. We understand that as romantic love. You know, we, we see, you know, I, I remember uh, <clears throat> at, I'm at a uh, 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 house uh, doing prayer and a meeting for Young Life, you know, as a Young Life leader um, leading this group, and all of a sudden, the roommate comes to the door, and I think, <clears throat> wow, we should have our meetings at this house more often, which is what happened. And, and uh, ta-da! Happy Father's Day, right? <laughs> so this is, the, this is a love, it's, an, it's a kind of love, it's an affection, it's, 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 it's this desire towards a romantic love and the fulfillment of uh, uniting with that beauty, with that something that's um, wonderful. So Eros is um, by the time Jesus' day, the eros had gotten so corrupted, I don't, it's not even found in the Bible, right? But the, the, that's the idea, romantic love. And phileo has to, is, we often know it as brotherly love, or it's a familial love, and it has to do with love based upon something in common, right? So 
my, my brothers and sisters, my family, we love each other, phileo. Um, you know, you, 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 uh, those kindergartners are going to grow up and they're going to they're end up having real friends, right? Those friendships are based upon, like, you know, being in the same home together. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> Looking at the homeschool kids. So the, <laughs> but the, you, you begin to have, like, um, uh, common interests and common things that you can unite around fellowship, and that becomes a kind of love. Agape, which is the word that's used here, that you're to agape God, is different. All those others are, are like natural. They, they just happen. Storge happens. Eros happens. Um, phileo happens. But agape is chosen. It's chosen. Agape love has to do with showing great concern and fealty or faithfulness, right? And it, it happens because of a decision that is made, right? So the, the, um, translated from the Greek agape into Latin, it's caritas, which we call charity, right? So the, the idea is I'm walking down the street and there's someone who's begging for money, I have no affection for him. I don't, I've never seen him. I have no phileo. I, we're going to cut out the arrows altogether. The only reason I would help out is because I, I choose to. Because I decide that I'm going to help this person that I've never met before. They're not gonna, I'm not going to get anything back from it. It's a choice. And, and Jesus says to the scribe that the greatest commandment is that we are to agape God, that we are going to make God our chief concern and that um, and we're going to be faithful to him. But then he goes on and, and lists four, these four things, and I think I have a slide for that. So... The four things, cardia is the Greek word for heart. It's the seat of the will and desire, right? So it's best used in the modern sense, because we still think of it this way, in the modern sense of the negative. What does it mean when someone loses heart? Well, they've given up, right? There's this, there's this uh, the will to, to do something is gone. You've lost heart. Or the desire to carry out a task is, is deflated, you've, you've lost heart, right? So, so you're supposed, we're supposed to love agape, God, to make the chief concern, a chief concern of our will and our desire, God. But that's not all. The next is psyche, which we translate soul. It's very, very closely related to spirit, but it's the seed of religious and moral affections um, and sentiment. It could be also the seed of our feeling or emotion, and often it describes our inner self, right? And that in that, in, our, in the way we feel or understand our way of who we are and what we ought to do, and that sh- the chief concern should be God and our fealty to him. My identity is in him. Deep down, who you are 
is in Christ, is in God, and, I, and my fealty for him. Third, he says, uh, Dionea, which is mind, it's the seat of understanding and reason. That I should, should make in my thinking, in my, the way I think about things and, and, um, and reason about things, God is my chief concern and my loyalty is him. And then finally, it's your strength, iscus, which is your physical abilities, right? My, so, so in all these things, basically it's the totality of who you are, the totality of your being, your chief concern is God and your faithfulness to him. Well, that's easy. Let's close in prayer. I'm just kidding. Right? Now, just to, just to put it this way, because the, the, it's Father's Day, this is my only father illustration that I could come up with. Dan would be much better at this. But, um, you know, you get married, and, you know, men, you get married and you have a kid. Guess what? Your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength belong to others. Right, don't they? You can't, I can't just decide to do something and then go, oh wait, shoot, I'm married and I have kids. It doesn't work that way, does it? Like everything that you do, you have in, the, in, the, in your mind, in your heart, in your, in your, uh, your, your gut or your, your soul and in your, there's, I have a wife and a family I have to take care of and I've got to do. I'd really like to do this thing, but I've got to make sure I'm loving my wife, I'm loving my kids, right? I'm showing my concern has to be there. Now, just to, to, to a, a little note here, when all of those things are working together, the, the, the heart, the soul, the mind, the strength, you, you have an integrity about you that's good, right? But we know in our world, in a fallen world, those things could play against each other, don't they? Right? What happens when you're, you're, uh, you know, you're at work and your boss comes in and irrationally chews, because the bosses always irrationally chew you out. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, but your boss chews you out, or what, what have you, and you're just you're just angry, right? And you're driving home, and the, that sense of uh, what they did was they attacked your very being. This has happened to me. Like my my mom, the first time she talked to my wife, said, "Oh, Ronnie's always been a loyal boy, right?" And and someone attacks me in that area, like my loyalty that I've somehow d- done something against my crew like that that's like an attack on my soul and i've had that happen to me and then all of a sudden i am angry and and what happens to my rationality out the window right but all of these things god implies that we have a choice we can make we can choose to submit our reason we can choose to submit our soul our feelings we can choose to submit our strength we can choose to submit our mind to God. I used to have this, this uh, where I worked, I would drive from, from uh, work to home, 
about halfway through these railroad tracks. And I knew that if I didn't take a little time after I was done with work just to decompress, I'm, I'm not going to be ready to, for my wife and my young children, right? So I would, I would decompress a little, I'd get in the car, and I would allow myself to just think about work or to, to just veg or to whatever it might be. But as soon as I got over the railroad tracks, thump, thump, now what I'm doing is I'm gearing up my mind and preparing myself to go home, right? And, and, um, and that way I could be my love, my agape can work for my family. Um, so, all right, there was my Father's Day illustration. I'm going to move on. So go and do likewise, I guess. I don't know. But then he says, it's the, so, that's the, this, so this, is, this thing that he quoted is from the Old Testament. It's the Shema. Every Jew that was faithful would repeat the Shema, this prayer, twice daily, in the morning and the evening. So when Jesus recites this, it's very obvious. Like everyone knows this. And it's like, oh, this is the most important. That might be a good thing for us to start doing twice a day, reminding ourselves that we should love God with all that we are. Right? Helps us to center ourselves, to remind us that we need to submit all these different parts of who we are to, to the Lord. But then he goes on and says that we are to love others. We're to love others as we love ourselves. And guess what word he uses for love? Agape. It's another choosing word. It's another, we are to concern ourselves with our neighbor just as much as we concern ourselves. Right? So our neighbor is a concern of ours just as much as ourself is a concern. And that's how we're to, to live, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And this is also nothing new. It's straight out of Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. He says, in this long list of things that we need to do for our neighbor, take, being mindful of the poor, being mindful of the, the sojourner in our land, um, that we shouldn't steal, we shouldn't deal falsely, we shouldn't uh, lie to one another, you shall not swear by my name falsely and profane the name of the Lord. That means like to trick someone, right? Like when you're kids, I swear... I swear on a stack of Bibles, right, just to get someone to believe you so you can steal their candy or something like that. Don't do that. That's not loving your neighbor. Um, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. Uh, you, the wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night but until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. You shall fear the Lord your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not uh, go around as a slanderer among your people. You shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor. I love how the fact that the Bible contrasts the two opposites are hate and reason. Let that settle into your mind, and then when you see things happening in the world, it goes, oh, that makes perfect sense. Hate and dealing reasonably with someone are the opposite. 
All right, I'm going to move on. Lest you incur sin because of him, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So Jesus simply quotes two scriptures, the Shema from Deuteronomy and love your neighbor as yourself from Leviticus. Those are the greatest. And that's what they mean. That's what God says is our chief duty. It's our, the most important thing. Love God with all that you are, your whole being, and to show love your neighbor as yourself. So that's the answer to the question. So let's, let's, let's go a little more deeply to this, because I, I see that there's a few problems that come up in our world. With, with this scripture. The first is this. Um, or I'm sorry, before I get into the, the misunderstandings, the first is, is this about understanding the answer. Is the reason why this is so important is because um, all obedience to God ends up being an outflow of love. Right? It's the, it, it is the, it's the chief commandment because when we love... God, with all that we are, obedience then comes an outflow of it, right? So the misunderstandings are this. The first is um, that love opposes the law, you know, the, the moral law of God. Um, and, you know, it's like, oh, the Old Testament was about obedience to God's law, but we're under grace and it's about love, as if those are competing with each other. Well, I just mentioned that what Jesus did was simply quote the Old Testament. They're, they're not in competition. In fact, our catechism, look, let's look at question 40. What rule did God at first reveal to man for the rule, for the rule of his obedience? Answer, the rule which God at first revealed to man for his obedience was the moral law. Next question. Wherein is the moral law summarily comprehended? Next answer. The moral law is summarily comprehended in the Ten Commandments. In other words, God gave us the Ten Commandments, and that is the sum of all the commandments. Right? So it says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Okay, that sounds good. Well, what does that mean? Well, you have all these other laws that talk about that. Right? Well, you, you know, adultery proper is like you, you can't have sex with people outside of your spouse. You're, you're, you know, between a man and a woman, right? Because that's clarified. Who, who can you marry? Well, the law tells you. You can't marry close relatives. You can't, you, you have to, uh, there are people who are exempt. You can't marry, um, uh, you, you can't marry your, your, your dad's wife, you know, that type of thing. Um, and then, and then um, well, adultery, well, it means sex, you can't have sex when you're married with someone else. Oh, well, then the rest of the law then begins to expand it to include any kind of sexual activity outside of that heterosexual marriage, period. So, so all of these sexual, or the, all these moral laws revolving around sex all come from the sum, thou shalt not commit adultery. That that's all makes sense? All right, next slide. 
what is the sum of the Ten Commandments? All right. So if all the laws of God can be summed up, or the 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 um, the uh, are summarily comprehended in the Ten Commandments, what's the sum of the Ten Commandments? The sum of the Ten Commandments is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and our neighbor as ourselves. You know what Jesus said. In other words, the law, the moral law of God, and the idea of loving God and loving your neighbor are not at odds with each other. They're not. They're not opposing to one another. In fact, they're talking about the same thing. Another problem that we see in our, our day is this, is that we, we, we say, yeah, we agree with loving, um, loving God and loving our neighbor, but then we leave love undefined as if it's up to us to decide what love really means. Right? I have neighbors who have signs on their front lawn that says love is love. And we all know what they're talking about. They're talking about, you know, we should love anyone who we want to love any way we want to. And that is not from Scripture. Because what the, what the moral law of God does, it tells us how we ought to love. It gives us the bounds of what love is. Right? We can't just leave love undefined and make it you know, up on our own. Just like I mentioned, what, what's the chief in a man to glorify God and enjoy him forever? Well, how should we do that? Well, I don't want to read the rest of the, the uh, catechism. I want to just figure it out on my own. Well, that doesn't work. Right? God has told us how we ought to love or to glorify him and enjoy him. And part of that is believing about him what he has told us in Scripture and to do the duties that he has told us in Scripture, which is obedience to the moral law. That's how we love God and we love our neighbor. Finally, number three, and this, I think, is, happens more often than we care to admit um, within the church. So I think the first two is maybe a problem that's not necessarily in the church that much, but it's there. But this is the one that's the big one, that somehow we think that our love earns God favor. In other words, if I could just muster enough to will myself to love God enough and love my neighbor, then God will finally accept me. That somehow it's up to me to do these things so that God will like me or love me or accept me. And that is a lie. It, it doesn't work that way. We love him because he first loved us, right? He calls us to love him because he has already loved you and accepted you. He's calling you as one of his children to love him and to love your neighbor. It's not so that you can become a child of God. It's because you're a child of God, right? So I have... Oh, another Father's Day illustration. I got kids, right? I got kids. And you know what? I'll ask them to do things. 
And you know what? Because of how much God loves us, our kids have always been perfectly obedient. <laughs> you know that's a joke. That's not true. Our kids, they, they don't. They don't obey everything. They don't, they don't love the way they perfectly ought to, especially on Father's Day and forgetting that it's Father's Day before. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They're going to hate me on the way home. But uh, anyway, but they, they, they don't. But that doesn't mean I just, like, well, you're not my kid anymore. If you can muster enough obedience and love, then I might accept you again, and then you can come and we'll eat dinner together. But until then, you're on your own. That would be ridiculous. That would be abusive. That's like no one would do that. Well, maybe they would, but we'd all condemn them because we all know that that's wrong. God doesn't do that either. God knows because of the fall, we are all sinners. We cannot love him with our whole heart, with our whole soul, with our whole mind, with our whole... We, it's impossible. You know who did, though? Jesus. Jesus did on our behalf. We have fallen, and Jesus then also took our punishment. And then in Christ... In Christ, that's where we have perfect love. In Christ, God looks at me and looks at you as a son or daughter who is perfectly obedient because God sees his son Jesus. But that doesn't mean that we ignore this command. This is still what we pursue. And to quote R.C. Sproul, because I like it, R.C. Sproul says, and I agree with him, in Christ, we can truly obey these two commands, but not perfectly. In Christ, we can pursue this, we can love truly, but not perfectly. Not until the next life. Not until we meet him face to face. So, the good news is, in Christ, you are one of his people. You're a child of his, and God is asking as God the Father to love him and to love your neighbor, your brothers and sisters. It's not to earn his favor, it's not to become, but it's as a response. The Heidelberg Catechism is great, it's another Reformed Confession of Faith. And it puts the Ten Commandments in a section called gratitude, right? Uh, as, uh, as PCA people, we like to talk about the laws, that thing that points out sin more. The, the people who do the Heidelberg, they like to look at as, in response to God's grace and forgiveness, we obey his law. And I think that's wonderful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word.